Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how goes it, sir? It goes well. It goes well. How about you? I am doing excellent. We have plenty of football fodder today, and we haven't said that in a while, but lists lists are always an easy way out when you're doing a radio show, especially when it's once a week for an hour, Keith, which you and I could do in our sleep. But today, we got the list of nominees for the College Football Hall of Fame, the newest class. We did, we did. There are three Seminoles on the list, along with several dozen other players. So we'll talk about that. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us. We'll look back at the unity walk that was led by the Florida State football team over the weekend. We'll update you on all things related to Florida State athletics. We'll also talk some more college baseball. Now, I know what's most at top of mind for our listeners is college football. But this is the point in the year where we'd be in the middle of the College World Series at present and somebody would be eyeing the winner's bracket and get into the championship round. So we thought we'd bring a national college baseball expert into the fold, and we'll talk with Kendall Rogers a little bit later on in the show. Really what I'm saying is normally in June, there's not a lot going on, so we talk college baseball. We're going to do it anyway by George. or by. And I hope in our conversation with him, uh, we get uh, at least his opinion, or maybe we'll get a little fall ball. Uh, I guess technically we will not have a 2020 national champion uh, as it relates to college baseball. But, um, you know, what might 2021 look like in terms of starting the season and that type of thing? And and uh, obviously we can uh, continue to uh, celebrate the uh, draft in which uh, two Florida State players went in the major league draft. And then I, I read another uh, youngster signed a free agent contract, I believe. So uh, some some reasonably good news on that front. Yeah, the good news is even though those guys are moving on, that every everybody else is coming back, really, because there just wasn't enough dollars out there. So you're going to have a loaded roster, which sounds great when you consider Florida State, but then when you consider every team is going to have a loaded roster compared to what the norm is, that's just the truth. It's going to be a higher caliber game next year. So we'll get into that conversation. But I want to go back to college football, Keith, and as we as we talk, really it's kind of been the same stories the last few weeks. More programs are getting to their – voluntary workouts or their off-season conditioning and 
just about every program has had somebody test positive, but things continue to proceed as if we're going to start the season on time. So instead of talking about the unknown, which we've done for weeks, let's, let's talk about uh, the more known. And that is that Florida State got three guys nominated on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot for next year. We won't know until January, I guess, if they're in. Two of these feel like sure bets to me. I, I don't know that it'll play out that way because there's so many nominees. But Sebastian Janikowski, Marvin Jones, Barry Smith, those are the three Knowles that are on the short list. What do you think? Uh, I agree with you. And, and uh, I know my good friend Barry Smith, when he listens to this, will send me an email and tell me to be quiet. Uh, but uh, I think Seabass and, and uh, Shade Tree uh, are, are pretty much, should be, in my opinion, uh, locks. I'd love to see Barry get in. A lot of people uh, know Barry because of the things that he's done after his playing career. Very uh, popular down in the Tampa area. Uh, But it would be just great for him to get in, uh, given the fact that he's uh, older than I am. Let's just put it that way. And it would be a great celebration for him. So I I like the fact that three Knowles are mentioned. Uh, I like Seabass's and and Marvin's chance, and I'm pulling – pulling hard for Barry, uh, and and hopefully it'll come true for him. Well, I'm basically going to plead the fifth here because I don't have much of a frame of reference on Barry's career. I know he finished in 72, and that was his best season. And unfortunately, the clock's ticking because one of the criteria for the College Football Hall of Fame, you had to have played within the last 50 years. So he's he's got this year and next year to get in, and then I guess he comes off the ballot. I do have a frame of reference on Janikowski. And so the only reason Janikowski would not get in first time around, and there's only one kicker in the College Football Hall of Fame, by the way. Don't know if you knew it. There's only That's one. the boy from Texas? No, from Georgia, Kevin Butler. Butler. What about Erksleben's not in? How about that? Unless I did the search wrong, it's just Kevin Butler. Janikowski has all the credentials to get in. The reason he would not get in is off-field, antics, issues, whatever – to be fair, though, the way it reads when you look at it, at least what they publicize today, and let me, let me make sure I get this right, Keith, because you saw the same release. Post-football record as a citizen is also weighed. So I don't know if that – I could read that as once you're done playing football, how did you behave after that? And everything while you were playing football, they're looking the other way. But to be fair to Sebastian Janikowski, who had his challenges at Florida State, I think by all accounts, as a pro, he settled down completely and kicked for 15 or 16 years there and did not have the issues. Uh, so anyway, but if you look at on-field merits, he's – I don't see why. He's the only two-time winner of the Groza Award for best kicker. So that right there puts him, pun intended, a leg ahead of any other kicker in the field. Played on a national championship team, uh, played in uh, several national championship games. And as you mentioned, though, it is a collegiate uh, Hall of Fame, an outstanding professional career. My favorite Janikowski story, people, people, and I've told it to you, I'll, I'll mention it briefly to our listeners because everybody rolls their eyes and they think I'm nuts. But there was a very um, uh, situation, let's just call it a situation, where Janikowski was in uh, a conversation with a police officer and believing that he was fixing to be fined pulled out his wallet and started to pay said police officer. And everybody assumed that that meant he was trying to bribe the police officer. But the reality is that's how you pay your fines in Poland. (laughs) They are collected on the spot. 
So uh, he would have to be the one to tell you whether he was reverting to uh, his home country or, or doing otherwise, but that to me was at least a partial explanation of some of his behavior. Well, I can't vouch for whether that's accurate or not. It's a good story, nevertheless, if, it, if it's not. But I agree. And then, and then Shade Tree. I mean, Shade Tree, if you have this conversation with Knowles, some would tell you he's the best player ever to wear the garnet and gold. And that looks past Charlie Ward and Deion Sanders and all the other people who have their jerseys and numbers retired up underneath the scoreboard at Doak. But he's certainly in the conversation. I don't know. You and I have never really debated that, but he'd have to be on your pretty short list, I would say. Very short list. And part of the reason why he doesn't get the notoriety is very evident. He played defense. So he, he wasn't an offensive star. He didn't return kicks or punts like Dion did. Uh, I, I don't recall how many interceptions he had, but I don't think they were as exciting as Derrick Brooks once he got the ball in his hands on a, on a uh, defensive INT. But in terms of playing the position and, and, and making it where other people, uh, where Mickey could do some other things with other people, because Marvin could play a position and a half. He could play his position and, and half of somebody else's. He was that good. Uh, had a great NFL career. Uh, one of the greatest nicknames ever in Florida State history, as we've already mentioned, Shade Tree. Because uh, before they reconfigured that practice field, those three or four oak trees between field three and field two on that little hill, uh, you didn't take his spot. During breaks, that's where he was going to be, underneath the shade. And uh, just a marvelous uh, nickname. But, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he, he is, without question, maybe, maybe the most underrated star in Florida State's history. Well, here's the thing. Florida State's got some catching up to do. If you look at the College Football Hall of Fame list, Apparently, Army and Notre Dame are the only two institutions that played football in the 30s and 40s because they've got like 46 guys in the Hall of Fame. And Florida State has nine, I think, and that counts Bobby Bowden and Daryl Mudra as coaches, right? So they've got seven players. I think the math is right on it. Florida and Miami each have in the nine or ten range, so a little bit more. Uh, On the one hand, a chance to catch up. On the other hand, the heyday for the Gators and the Canes is coming up too, so they're going to have a lot of guys eligible. But more to the point here, Keith, when you look at the requirements, so you've got to get nominated. You have to have been done playing football for 10 years, at least playing college football. You have to have been a first-team All-American by one of the services that the NCAA recognizes related to consensus All-American status. So that's – I don't know what the exact list is now, but as of 10 years ago, it was the Associated Press. It was the Football Coaches Association, Football Writers Association. Sporting News and the and the Walter Camp Football Foundation. So you had to be an All-American by one of those. Right, right. I want you to just think of this list of what's coming for Florida State. This is not who's been an All-American. This is who was a consensus, consensus. meaning that three of those five entities named them an All-American. And this is going back to who's eligible for Florida State. Greg Allen, Jamie Dukes, who's eligible but not in. Greg Allen, Jamie Dukes, Leroy Butler, Marvin Jones, Corey Sawyer, Clifton Abraham, Clay Shiver, Peter Bolware, Raynard Wilson, Sam Cowart, Andre Wadsworth, Janikowski, Peter Warwick, Corey Simon, Jason Whitaker, Tay Cody, Snoop Menace, Jamal Reynolds, Alex Barron, and Rodney Hudson if I stop at the year 2010 because you have to have been out for 10 years. 
That's a heck of a list right there. And that's just consensus. That leaves a lot of guys out that were all Americans, but not consensus all Americans. Florida State, you know, has been the beneficiary of unbelievable talent. I, I, I hope as the years continue on uh, that uh, Florida State will be recognized for the depth of that talent by people like the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame because, you know, it's only natural that if you've got those kind of players that law of averages, we ought, we ought to get some of them in and we ought to celebrate them getting in. Yeah, I'm looking at this list, Keith, just to pull a name or two, you know, not a consent, like Derek Alexander was not a consensus, but in 93, he was a first team All-American. Uh, the 99 team, well, you know what, I, don't need, I didn't read Chris Winkie's name on that list, did I? Nope. So there, there's a guy who played in two national championships games, won a Heisman, and he's not even on the consensus list. So there's a lot of names out there uh, coming up for Florida State here that are in the pipe. The problem is there's a lot of names across the board, 73 nominees this year. Let me, let me put it this way. For Miami, Miami's got three guys up this year too, and it's uh, Ray Lewis is one of them. Ken Dorsey is one of them. And I outsmarted myself because I don't see the other. Uh, I lost the other name, but they had three up. But Ray Lewis and Ken Dorsey are the top list. I'm not sure if Ken Dorsey is or not. He was a, he was a quarterback. This is, it's interesting that I just mentioned Winky's name. Uh, Winky won a Heisman, did more at the college level. But Ken Dorsey was quarterback for, for a team that would have been unbeaten two years in a row and won back-to-back national titles were it not for that pass interference call in the Fiesta Bowl loss to Ohio State. And as much as I dislike Miami, that was still a bogus call. Yeah, so those guys are out there. On the local front, as we wrap up this segment, uh, Brad Culpepper, who played at Florida but uh, was from Leon High in Tallahassee, he's on the list. And Rudy Hubbard, who won a couple, a couple of national titles at Florida A&M, is also on that list as well. Anyway, see, I told you there was good fodder out there to discuss. We could go through all these. I could make the case for every one of those names that we just listed. Marvin and Sebastian, by the way, were both – two-time consensus All-Americans, which should put them further ahead of the rest of the field. I didn't go back and look at it, but if there's 73 names, you know, two-thirds of them were not two-time consensus All-Americans, I can guarantee you. Yeah, the other thing the Hall does is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the National Football Foundation Hall has a cap on the number of people that can get in. Is that correct? You know, if they do, I haven't seen it. It's a little bit different than the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Exactly. Right? Yep. I'm not actually sure what the voting criteria is if you've got to get over a certain threshold or how they do it. But those two guys are going to have strong cases for it. You know what they should do after they're uh, announced as, as, as going to be inducted, you know, as, as Hall of Famers? They should go to Madison Social and, and celebrate. And then they get a, a glass made for them, I would suspect. Yes, yes. We could talk to Matt Thompson. He could do a pint glass for him. That's a good idea, actually. Matt? That's uh, in the coffer of ideas. That one goes on Keith's side. All the rest are still <laughs> in my corner, but that one's in Keith's side. We'll come back, talk with Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider, right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. 
back on Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you once more. Pleased to welcome to the program our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. During the uh, break there, had a brief, very brief conversation, just continuing our train of thought about Florida State guys into the College Football Hall of Fame. So you saw the three that are on the list. Seabass, Marvin Jones, Barry Smith, and your comment was all three have a pretty strong case. So what do you think? How, how are we going to bat when this voting is done by July, even though it's not announced till January? We hitting 333, 667, or are we batting 1,000? You know, I think realistically, Marvin Jones, when you say the name, as far as his significance to Florida State history and, and among the big threes, best players, a guy who should have been in the College Football Hall of Fame, I think a long time ago. I mean, Marvin Jones, look, you know, Pat Burnham says all the time, he's the best college linebacker he's he's ever seen. And, you know, that that poster hit that Marvin had, the one that we all remember, there's, there's another one that's just a memorable linebacker. And I think maybe what didn't get him in sooner is just that he wasn't on a national championship team but he was on some teams that were just truly one kick away against Miami. And then you look at, you know, Seabass, I think what an 80% field goal kicker historically, which is, you know, very solid, but the legend of him is, is probably bigger. And, and the fact that he could make those kicks and, and you heard the sound of the ball when it struck his left foot, it was almost kind of Ruthian in, in a sense where, you know, you, you heard that hit, you heard that kick too. So those two guys feel like they have a really strong shot. And I know historically, you know, wide receiver numbers from the, the late 60s and early 70s in Barry Smith's case probably aren't great when you compare them to the wide open pass offenses of 80s, 90s today. But but Barry makes a great case, too, with, with what he did. I'd like to see Florida State hit uh, 666 on this one and answer your question there. Yeah, it'd be nice to get two out of three. And I just read this list to Keith. First of all, I don't know that I I read this whole list, Keith, of of just for our listeners' sake. This is who's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Did I read this list already? But you Dion, did not. You did not. Yeah, so this is who's in for FSU. Dion, Derek Brooks, Ron Sellers, Fred Bolitnikoff, Charlie Ward, Ron Simmons, T Buck, and then Bobby Bowden and Daryl Mudra as, as coaches. But Bob, here's the list that's coming up because we're getting into the wheel. Frankly, you have to be 10 years removed. So a lot of these guys should have been on the list and should have been in already to be eligible. You have to have been an all American by one of the recognized national publications or services. This is not who's been an all American. This is just consensus all Americans. And I'll even narrow it to the nineties, which is shorter, but, but coming through here, guys that aren't already in, you have Corey Sawyer, Clifton Abraham, Clay Shiver, Peter Bulware, Raynard Wilson, Sam Cowart, Andre Wadsworth, Peter Warwick, Corey Simon, Jason Whitaker, Tay Cody, and Snoop Minnis, and Jamal Reynolds. So that's just going basically from 92 to 2000, not counting the guys that are in or that are on the ballot this year. I mean, there's a lot out there. And maybe the, the Bowden dynasty – needs its own wing, so to speak, you know, that 14-year run. Maybe there just needs to be a permanent exhibit so that a lot of those guys, um, I know you mentioned some guys who weren't part of that run, but maybe that that dynastic team needs to have some kind of um, display so that people recognize, you know, just the, the great coaching job done by Bowden and the staff and then all those players too. And the one guy we didn't even mention, we mentioned previously, uh, you haven't, is Chris Winkie. <laughs> you know, he, he's not 
uh, quote unquote, a consensus All-American, if you can believe that, but uh, certainly uh, won the Heisman Trophy. Um, are, are these important? Do the young kids pay attention to these at all, do you think? I don't think so, no. It, it doesn't really help you from a recruiting standpoint. Um, I think it's very, very important to the players who played on, on those teams in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatnot, to fans, very much so. And I think this College Football Hall of Fame being in Atlanta, you know, we hope that it, it comes back and people can go and visit. But that's a great city to have a Hall of Fame where you can walk through. So I think from the fan standpoint, it is really, really important because you can say, oh, gosh, I remember that guy. He was incredible. And there he is. And, and you want to tell that to your, to your son, your daughter, your, your niece or nephew, grandkids. You want to be able to share part of the history of the sport, I think, to future generations. I'll move this forward to the current team here. But just for perspective, Bob and Keith, these are schools that have more college football Hall of Famers than FSU. Just – I'm randomly picking here, SMU, Purdue, Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, Penn, not Penn State, Penn, Harvard, Princeton, Navy, Army, Yale, and then the rest are kind of college football big boys. So it looked a little different back in the day. And by the way, Yale has like 25 guys in there, and FSU has eight, just so you know. One, one, one term, Tom, 1947. All of those schools have people that go back to the 20s and 30s. Florida State didn't play football in 1947, as you well know. That's exactly right. All right, Bob, let's spin it to the current Knowles. You were at the Unity Walk this past weekend, which really came together quickly, uh, and it was effective, and it was – well, I'll let you describe it. But, I mean, in the last two weeks or so, Florida State has been very active in this front. started with Marvin Wilson, and this really, I guess, was Corey Durden who spearheaded this effort. I was stunned by the turnout. It, it was really quite pleasing to see, you know, students, uh, the coaching staff. I think we counted at least nine head coaches. And, and honestly, with everyone wearing masks and, and some folks wearing hats because of the heat, it, it wasn't as easy to identify people as normal. But to see that many head coaches, to see some student athletes, assistant coaches from across the campus, uh, some students joining in from TCC and Florida A&M, it, it was a, a unity walk from Doe Campbell Stadium up St. Augustine Street to, to the Capitol. And really a, a cool scene being met at the Capitol by parked cars on Monroe Street and, and people chanting about, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and repeating it. And some really good, um, good emotions, I think. I think this is what the Florida State players wanted to see was a day for the community to embrace this topic for one of understanding and, and to see this kind of turnout was, was really pretty incredible. So I, I think this, this does help. I think the players get a feel that the community does understand that this is important and, and they've come out to support them. Well, we talk about off campus things and, and back in the old days, we talk about going to movies together or we go bowling uh, every now and then coach Bowden back in my time would take us on a picnic. We went out to uh this big place out in Killarney Lakes one time. Uh, but point being, off the field, quote-unquote, unification. Always been a part, particularly of team sports, but just takes a little different flavor these days, maybe. Yeah, it, it's different. And 
thinking about what you just said, players have said on our happy hour Zoom talks on Thursdays how much, you know, things are different because not everybody's all together at Burt Reynolds Hall. You know, they're, they're not together as a team, whether it's, you know, white, black, Hispanic, rich, poor country, you know, from a big city. So, you know, I've heard so many players over the last couple of months just remark about that togetherness, I think, was really built based on maybe not just who your roommate was, but who the guy down the hall was and what you did together, whether it was, you know, going to a restaurant or just hanging out together. And so I, I think that togetherness, maybe it has to be built by the head coach. Maybe there has to be some kind of structure since a lot of these guys just aren't able to live together anymore, you know, with these weird NCAA rules. But it's, um, you know, football is a, a cross section where, you know, guys are from different backgrounds. Um, you know, one might be from a wealthy family, one not white, black. Again, it, it's something where I, I think coaches have to encourage a bond across, you know, different ways that you grew up. Well, the NCAA rule book is one thing. The pandemic and Zoom calls is another as they consume our lives right now and try to bring folks together. We're talking with Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider. I encourage you to go online, subscribe for a year, test it out for 30 days, uh, do a free trial. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Bob, one of the articles you have uh, online at the Osceola right now deals with uh, a recent board meeting, not the university board meeting, but I guess an athletics board meeting. And you kind of went through some of the highlights. And, and we haven't heard a lot about this of late for obvious reasons, but still hanging out there is this football operations center. And I know that it kind of got into a holding pattern even before COVID-19 because they wanted to get Coach Norvell's input. Now you have the pandemic. Nobody knows what budgets are going to look like. We don't even know if the season's going to start on time. So obviously it's on the back burner. So really my question is, and uh, A, have you heard any update? And, and B, do you think – well, let me just stop there. Is there any update or any news on that front? You know, I've heard anything specific. I, I think the campaign is somewhere around ninety-three million in pledges, with was about twenty-two, twenty-five million on hand. That's a project where, you know, you, I don't know all the challenges to articulate this, but you have to have cash on hand to build this. This is not one where it's like the Champions Club where you can leverage future ticket sales to then go into construction. So is this building going to come up in 21, 22, 23? Honestly, not sure. And I think it's really very much on the back burner as there are so many pressing matters, you know, currently on athletic departments agendas. Well, and here's the second part of that, Bob. So we all know that, and this is really dumbing it down to Cliff's notes, but you you haven't been able to pay the players. And so any extra dollars has gone into paying the coaches or building shiny toys of football facilities. And we all know on this show right now that Florida State's football facilities are plenty fine enough to produce a national championship team. So now you have the backdrop of the NIL, which is coming into play next year. And my early thought on it is that it's going to be more important to have ducks in a row. And I hate to say this, compliance folks won't want to hear it, but you better have a plan on how you're going to get endorsement deals for your players when you're trying to recruit them. And it's going to be less about do you have the shiniest new toy and do you have gold plates on the hot tub and the whirlpool tub. 
I know that sounds a little crazy, and I'm sure that, again, the folks on the fourth floor at the Moore Center, they, they're aware of this. I mean, that's one of their big concerns is, is how this could turn into a recruiting play. It just feels like that's where this is going to shift in, in coming years. Yeah, I think, you know, currently the, the big emphasis, David Coburn's mentioned this a couple of times, is they would really support a federal legislation that it sounds like Senator Marco Rubio is planning to introduce in Washington that would, again, allow for a uniform legislation across all 50 states so that nobody has an advantage. So let's, let's set that aside. Yes, the state legislation is coming up fast if, in the event, Washington can't get something done between now and then. I don't know what universities should do. My only real suggestion is give them some things that you are currently doing, such as media training. I know you guys have been part of that help them to be best prepared in front of the camera so that then they can go on YouTube or social media and present themselves, again, not in a Florida State t-shirt or jersey or polo shirt, but if they want to pitch a product as a spokesman, they can do so. I think maybe the universities could hire, whether it's, I don't know what the, the word is, it's not a social media expert because they clearly have those, but maybe They're called it's like brand, brand managers. Brand, brand manager, brand consultant, yep. right. You know, maybe you need to bring in somebody like that. Maybe it's a Florida State alum. Maybe it's a Fortune 500 type. Um, I, I think we are seeing university, you know, Florida State does it. A lot of schools do it. They bring in alumni. They bring in mentors, advisors, um, financial advisors. You, you can bring in somebody just to teach some classes, to give some advice, to do a video. Those are things that I, I truly would recommend in the short term. Is that enough? Is that what student athletes are looking for? Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm really not sure on this one. Universities have already begun the process of, of hiring brand managers, and I'm of the opinion, you guys can weigh in on this, that that is going to have to be what Florida State does because you're going to have to use that in recruiting. You're not going to be in a position where you can tell a kid, if you come here, Keith Jones Automotive will pay you $50,000 for you to sell Yugos. But what you've got to be able to tell him is we've got people set up that we're paying that are going to be available to you that will teach you how to develop your brand and how to go out and market yourself. And that will be just as important as the nutritionist, the strength coach, and the shiny operations center, to be honest, because I can live – in something that's not a Taj Mahal if I've got X number of dollars in my pocket. You articulated that much better than I did, Keith, but I think that's dead on. Right now there's all this conversation about how many behind-the-scenes analysts does Alabama have and Clemson have and does FSU have enough? And then when you're recruiting, they say, well, why are you going to go there? They've only got six analysts. That conversation is going to shift the way to why are you going to go there? They don't even have a brand management program in place. They're not going to do anything to help you generate any revenue for your name, image, and likeness. I mean, I just see that's where this is headed. And so it's just, so it goes back to, I hate to use the word adequate because what Florida State has from a facility standpoint is far more than adequate. But it's not at the top of the list anymore because there's other schools, namely in the SEC, who are generating more revenue every year. I just don't think that's going to be as key a player anymore in, in coming years. Doesn't mean that a football ops center isn't going to be built. Doesn't mean they don't still need to always look to enhance their facilities. I just don't think you need to build the Ritz on the facility side. 
you can get by with the full service Marriott if you're tending to these other things. I guess that's the best analogy I can come to. Yeah, and something that a few people have remarked through the years is is maybe Force State just needs to invest in its its personal capital, meaning you know hire and retain good people who can then develop the student athlete, whether that's in football or other sports. And I think there there is an investment that eventually should be made with a football ops center, but you know to your point, let's develop the next generation and and plan for the future and. That's, that's maybe the best course of action. I still maintain, by the way, not that anybody cares, but you've already got beachfront property with where the football offices are now. So don't build a nicer house when you can't see the beach. Just go ahead and retrofit what you got. But I'm not looking at the budget. I mean, if it's, if it's that cost prohibitive, then go buy, build your shiny new toy, right? Okay, Luke Altmeyer is now going to play in the Under Armour All-Star game, I guess. So it seems like his profile is raising. Does that help Florida State's recruiting efforts overall? Not just him as an individual if he's moving up in the rankings, but kind of the notoriety that goes with it? Or is it a slipperier slope because Alabama's also knocking at his door? I, I could argue it's a little bit of both, right? I could argue that, you know, Florida State found a guy who maybe wasn't on the radar of some of those high-end top five, top ten schools right now. But in, in Florida State's case, you know, Luke seems to be a guy who's, I'd say, relatively active on social media when it comes to recruiting and telling guys, hey, you know, come to Tallahassee. This is where we're going to rebuild something into something special. You know, I, I think it could be, you know, a, a deal where a receiver, a tight end, a running back, somebody says, hey, I want to go play with – this great team. They're going to put it back together in Tallahassee. Bob, we appreciate your insight as always. We'll uh, let you off the hook on the recruiting stuff. There's still, again, we're not the recruit Knicks, but this is going to be a wild year because so many verbal commitments have been made this early in the process that there's going to be a lot of flips when we get into November and leading up to that early signing day. Assuming the early signing period stays in place and we play the season on time, that could all be subject to change too. Appreciate it, sir. Take care. Thanks, Bob. Bob Ferrante, Osceola Insider. He joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Go online to theosceola.com and subscribe. Support Jerry, Bob, Fish, Patrick Burnham, and the rest, and stay updated on Florida State. Take a break. Come back. Turn our attention to college baseball right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. Thanks to Bob Ferranti from the Osceola for joining us last segment, our Osceola Insider. We're going to Turn our attention back to college baseball. We had Mike Martin Jr. on last week. And this week, pleased to bring Kendall Rogers to the program. If you follow college baseball, and many of our listeners do, you know Kendall uh, has been a longtime advocate of the game with D1Baseball.com. Kendall, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good, bud. How about yourself? Well, I'm doing well, but I, I sense that that I'm doing pretty good response you provided is a little hollow because you're not making <laughs> plans to eat it. Unless you went to Omaha anyway, I don't think you're eating at the Drover or eating at a steakhouse tonight. 
No, it's, you know, it's been interesting the last few months. Obviously, we're, you know, the last 14 years I've been at the College World Series, uh, you know, this moment. And so it's a little disappointing that uh, there's no College World Series. But, you know, it's one of those things you look forward to, to next year. And, you know, we talk so much about, you know, what we missed this year. But you look, look ahead to next year and, you know, we've got a limited roster. We've got all these guys coming back that maybe weren't expected to come back. And so I think we're going to be rewarded with a kind of a golden year of college baseball. Cross, cross our fingers that we actually get to play. Well, before we get into anything important, what did you get to do on Memorial Day? Mike Martin Jr. said it was the first Memorial Day he didn't have anything to do. So what did you do? <laughs> so, you know, it's funny funny you mention that. So usually my uh, my plan on Memorial Day is, you know, I usually go to the SEC tournament because Aaron Fitfresco is the ACC tournament. And usually I fly home like the Sunday morning of the SEC tournament championship. And I'm pretty much kind of in the bunker from about 8 o'clock at night until – uh, the selection show on Monday. I'm making calls, trying to find out uh, who's going where. Most of the time I can get most of the field by the end of the night. But, uh, you know, then you wake up on Monday, uh, and it's like Christmas Day for college baseball people. So this year it was a little different. This year I was sitting on a beach down here in Texas uh, with very minimal cell phone service. So it, it was quite a, a stark contrast to what I'm used to. But, you know, it, it was fun for one year. Uh, I don't know if I want to do it again. I hear you. <laughs> Kendall, I want to go back to the point you just made about a potential golden year for college baseball. So we talked about this with Meet last week, but you've got a confluence of events. Well, it's one event, the COVID-19, but you have seniors, some who are coming back that was unexpected. You have freshmen who didn't sign. You have many guys that were draft eligible who won't sign because the draft was so short and, and the dollars were so reduced. So this really could or is going to be the most loaded field we've ever seen in college baseball. I mean, that's accurate, right? No, it really is. I mean, I think when you look across the country and, you know, it's just kind of kind of funny. It's been so many months since I've, I've kept, kept up with these teams that I was actually kind of getting a refresher on even FSU's roster. So, you know, you look at the number of guys that FSU has coming back. You know, you know, Miami, strangely enough, is one of the few teams that was hit pretty hard, uh, I feel like, by the draft and things like that. You know, Florida – I mean, my goodness, as if those guys needed any more luck, uh, you know, they get their number two, number one, and number two starters back as they move into a new ballpark. Uh, and then you look across uh, the, the ACC and SEC, you know, Georgia Tech uh, got several guys who otherwise would have signed to not get drafted. They're going to school. And then you look in the SEC, uh, it's like three or four teams out there are going to return almost everybody. So uh, I think you look across the country with, these unlimited rosters, you know, the, the, the scholarship counters going from, you know, 27 to 32, you can put 32 people on roster and, you know, you're getting rid of the 25% rule, you know, FSU, for instance, and this is a, this is a rule guys that I think, and I hope will stay permanent after this, you know, here's my thing. When you look at the 25% rule is right now you have to give everyone a 25% scholarship. So, you know, my feeling is this, if, you know, if Mike Martin Jr. can go out and there's a kid in Tallahassee, there's a kid in Pensacola who grew up a diehard Seminole and they want to play for FSU and they're willing to take 5% to do that, in a partial scholarship sport, why shouldn't you be able to only give somebody 5%? So uh, I hope moving forward that we do keep that because that gives you the ability to really stretch dollars uh, amongst 32 players in the roster. Kendall, before we talk uh, 2021, there may be a 2020 season in the fall. Uh, Meet talked about that a little bit. I know nothing's been decided. What are your thoughts? What do you think might happen in the fall relative to some competitive ball games? 
Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd be very surprised if we actually have scrimmages. Uh, and what I mean by that, Florida playing Florida State or Florida State playing anybody else. Uh, I think I'd be surprised by that. I think the thing that coaches and I think administrators are looking at now is, like, let's just let get football to get through the season without some sort of mass cancellation. You know, you've already seen some instances where, like, Kansas State had a guy show up and test positive and didn't tell anybody. And so – like, you know, their whole team's quarantined for two weeks. So I think what administrators are going to do is like, hey, college baseball, you know, college softball, these other secondary sports, like, hey, you guys, like, you can do your normal scrimmages, but, we're, like, we're not traveling anywhere. And in addition to COVID, like, they're not going to want to spend money. If you're Florida State and you're not going to be able to have people at football games this fall and you're losing money, like, why in the world would you put FSU on a bus or pay someone to come over there and play the, play the Seminoles? So, uh, I think it's going to be a very low-key fall again. My approach to this fall is the same as it's going to be in the spring. I just want to see baseball. Like, I don't care, like, if it's just a team and media and, and coaches. Like, I just want some sort of baseball. And it's two different conversations there, really, Kendall, because the coaches, Mike Martin Jr. could care less about generating revenue or whether there's fans in the stands. He wants to have a chance to develop his players. But obviously, uh, athletic directors and those that are counting the dollars, they're looking at it a different way right now. To that point, and I agree with you about the 25% rule, but some of the other conversation out there, some of it was related to COVID, but in general – there's long been a backdrop of could we ever get more scholarships allocated for college baseball? And I know in recent years, maybe it was just a year ago, Mm -hmm. there was a push to try and get more compensation for a third or get a third paid assistant coach. Do you think both those conversations are dead for the foreseeable future because we have to see what revenue looks like and if we're playing football since that's the the driver of the economy? Well, certainly dead for the next year. I I would say this. I would tell people, kind of point people to – this new baseball model that Michigan's Eric Backage put together. You know, Eric is a guy who spent time at Clemson, spent time at Vanderbilt, uh, is a, you know, grew up on the West Coast, is now at Michigan, and certainly took the Wolverines to the, to the CBS finals two years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, he came up with this new baseball model, essentially pushing the season back to the middle of March. The college baseball season would essentially end in the middle of July. And you know what? It, it's drastic. You know, you've got four extra or four weeks you know, past where we usually start to begin the season. But here's his take. And this is, I feel like where the disconnect has been with the Northern teams and the Southern teams in the past is in the past, it's always been about, Oh, we're the Northern school. And, you know, we just can't get ahead. You know, we can't get ahead. We can't, we can't get equal, blah, blah, blah. Well, Eric's looking at this as kind of a a wholesale point of view, you know, college baseball right now, we're not getting more scholarships. Uh, We got the third assistant legislation turned down. Why is that? Because at majority of schools, I mean, probably 95% of schools, they're not making money. So especially in this COVID era, as administrators are looking for way to, ways to cut costs, if you're college baseball, and let's say you're Florida State, and you can start the season in the middle of March with the weather in Tallahassee, for the most part in the middle of March, is, you know, mid-70s, upper 60s on a, on a bad day. It could, it could get chilly. But for the most part, you're in the 60s or 70s. Or you could start the season when it is now, whenever you might be freezing your tail off at uh, Dick Hauser. Like, that that means more fans in the stands. That means more T-shirt sales. That means more beer sales. That means more food sales. So, at the end of the day, whether it's Florida State or whether it's uh, Louisiana Lafayette, you're getting more people in the stands. You're selling more product. You're selling more beer. And, oh, by the way, 
you're making more revenue and you're cutting your costs. I think if we can get to that point, which is why I like this model, then I think college baseball can start to get some things. But I think ADs, uh, I think they're looking at this whole situation as is almost like a, a corporation would. Like, you know, whenever all this stuff goes down with COVID, you know, what happens? There's layoffs. And you know what? It stinks. Like, it's terrible. But I think ADs are looking at it as, hey, like this is our opportunity to kind of trim some of the fat that we have. And, hey, by the way, college baseball, like, if you want all this stuff, like, you're going to have to find that you're willing to, to either trim those, those costs, costs off the bottom line or, hey, let's try to make some money for once. Kendall, don't want to get too much in the weeds, but two things jump out at me about that. Number one, something I think might need to be done with the, with the draft. Obviously, this year's draft is different. And secondly, what about the summer leagues? How, how would they be impacted? Yeah, that's a great – those are two great questions. And so the first one – so the MLB draft, uh, I can tell you from discussions behind the scenes, I feel like is going to end up moving um, to the middle of July anyway. I think MLB would like to see it move to the middle of July and have the signing deadline be like two or three weeks later. So I think we're going to have that move till July anyway. So that would have no bearing. I mean, honestly, it would probably be roughly the same timing as it is now. And so I don't think that's going to be an issue. The, the summer league question is certainly an interesting one. Um, it's one of the questions I asked back at whenever I did a big story about this. And, you know, he brought up a good point. Um, you know, a majority, I think it's 250, 260 schools would be done by like June 20th, um, you know, if, uh, if this, you know, model went through. So if that happens, then, you know what, you have a, what, a, probably a two or three week span there where you're going to have to get whether it's, junior college players, D3 players, D2 players, to kind of take some of the load off. But for the most part, these D1 guys can go step in there by the third week of June for most programs in college baseball. So I kind of view it as this, like, A, the Division One players will still be there in June, and two, uh, you give exposure to some of these JUCO and, like, D3 guys that otherwise would get no exposure. A couple things, Kendall. In my mind – I guess it's just the all-American nature of baseball, apple pie, Chevrolet, you know. Uh, it feels like 4th of July should be wrapped up into the College World Series somehow. I was thinking of it as around the championship weekend, which would be, you know, kind of in between yeah. now and what what's proposed. But I guess you could do it with the opening ceremonies, and that would that would roll that in. But the other thing, and I would agree with your thought that collectively college baseball revenue would go up if you shifted the season – but in Tallahassee, even though you're getting more people on the front end, that also means more games in June when it's 100 mm -hmm. degrees. And so you might have yeah. fewer fans at the end of the year there. Let me ask you this, though. Related to what's going on with Major League Baseball right now, uh, college baseball certainly, I mean, it's, it's TV inventory. I mean, it's all over the SEC network, ACC network. Uh, there is a chance for revenue, as you're pointing out. So I don't feel like it's dying by any stretch. But do you worry – about the sport in general, given that right now at the major league level, we've got billionaires feuding with millionaires about whether they're going to play ball or not? Yeah, you know, I think that the really interesting thing is like, you know, I, I feel like it's like anything like the trickle-down effect of college baseball would be in several years. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing about major league baseball is uh, as discussions heat up uh, in terms of getting rid of, you know, minor league teams, minor league organizations, uh, trimming the draft to five rounds, what does that mean? That means there's less opportunities for players. So when you look at college baseball or, or you look at any athlete, guys, for in general, if there's a lot less opportunity to potentially be a professional player and a kid's dream is to grow up and play professional sports, uh, which, you know, the, the dream happens for very few people, 
but hey, we all grew up wanting to be that. And so, uh, you know, if you look at baseball and let's say the, the, the opportunity to do that just continues to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, what's going to happen? You're going to have more guys try to play football. You're going to have, you know, more kids based on socioeconomic status move over to tennis or move over to these other of those sports. So I think you're major league baseball. I think you've got to be very, very careful how you not only navigate the draft and things like that, but also how you navigate what's going on now. I mean, we're in a situation to where like, you know, when you're, when you look around society and there's still people losing their lives and things like that in major league baseball, the owners, they're bickering over, you know, it, what, what in my mind, when you consider how rich these people are, not a lot of money, it's not a great look. And so, uh, I, I hope for the sake of baseball they get something done because I think it could have some – I wouldn't say tragic is the right word, but it could definitely have some bad consequences if they don't get a deal uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Well, and the reality is, frankly, Major League Baseball fans are aging out uh, for all the for a lot of the reasons you just talked about. I mean, the, the fan base is getting older and older, and, and there's other, other things for young folks to do. Kendall, I hope that there's something for you to do before next uh, February 16th or whatever opening day is next year. I'm just guessing. Uh, I know there'll be plenty to do, but I know it's been a bizarre year for you because this would have been your heyday. So thanks thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, you got it, guys. Be safe. Thanks. Thanks, Kendall. Kendall Rogers from from D1 Baseball. And 14 straight years in Omaha, and then you get stuck with this. That's – Anybody that's been a, been out to Omaha or been affiliated with college baseball, we're all, we're all feeling the same thing. It's uh, it rings hollow right now. And Keith, you know, I remember when 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 the basketball season first got shelved, it felt very quick to me that the NCAA immediately, and they never do anything quickly. But within a couple days, it felt like less than a week, they went ahead and said all spring sports are canceled, and it really felt like it was it was getting too far out in front, but it turned out to be that was the reality of where we were going to be anyway. Um, I'm glad that they did give seniors an extra year to come back, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing on-field action again. Well, I think the other thing, and we didn't talk to Kendall about this, but Meet has brought this up previously, is in, in, in Michigan and Vanderbilt are a couple of the schools that uh, were earmarked, but you know the whole adage of extra or other scholarships and monies that are available uh, also comes into play, whether it's the 25% rule or anything other than that. And, uh, you know, the haves, haves, and the have-nots, have-nots, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, and we won't go too deep down that rabbit hole, but the issue there is it allows them to fully provide or provide full scholarships for many more than 11.7 because there's Correct. other workarounds. I remember meet in particular, and I'm assuming it's still true, if you're in a state that borders Arkansas – you get in-state tuition to come to Arkansas. So that's a big cost savings, and that uh, Arkansas touches quite a few states that play baseball, if you take a look. That is correct. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
Last segment here on Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Thanks to Kendall Rogers for joining us as well as Bob Ferrante. And thanks as always to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for their longtime support of our program. Get out there, tell Ron we said hello. Get on that do-it-yourself project list. I've slowly eased back into mine, Keith, but it has not been with a ferocity. Let's just say it that way. Well, that um, handyman concept is something that has escaped you most of your adult life, so that's understandable. You're going to continue to use that line every time I put it on a tee for you, and the bottom line <laughs> is, folks, uh, if you're like me, and even if you're not, go see Ron. They can help you out with your next do-it-yourself project, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Can we disagree with Kendall on one thing? Well, I disagreed with him on one thing already. I mean, more fans in March, yeah, less fans in June – so if there's a home baseball game this past weekend, are you sitting oh out there for four hours? I mean, it's oh visible gosh. during the regionals and super regionals. And the other thing is, there will be some inter-squad, excuse me, uh, live games in the fall. The coaches are going to demand it. And that means get on a bus, buy some diesel fuel, don't even spend the night. Go play Florida on a Tuesday, go play Central Florida on a Thursday, and then go play South Florida on a Saturday. Well, Mike Jr.'s even talked about not even doing weekdays. We'll just play doubleheaders on Saturday or Sunday. We'll drive there to you go. and back. There you go. We'll, wherever you got to drive. Yeah, so there's not a hotel bill. There's not charter planes. There's hardly meal money. Revenue does come into play, though. I mean, if you get, no the, word, if you get the word that there's no fans for college football, that's a different conversation than if you get the word that dope can be 50% full. I mean, because – you got to get the numbers on one side to line up with the numbers on the other. Yeah, and as we've talked about, we haven't spent a lot of time on that in this particular segment uh, of our show. But, you know, the momentum continues to be positive, even though there have been some positive tests. Um, I don't hear anybody throwing up their hands and saying that this can't be done. How about you? No, I would agree with that. I do feel like we've gotten to a point Everything was positive, positive, positive moving forward. And then the governor of Texas pumped the brakes a little bit last week, reportedly in a, a conference call with all the ADs at the, the D1 level and said, don't expect anything more than 50% capacity at any point this fall because the, the cart was getting in front of the horse there. And I think they were starting to assume that they might get to 100% capacity. But the numbers in Texas have been spiking just as they've been growing here in Florida. And so he pumped Well, I'm not to disagree with you, Tom, but no, they're not spiking. I'm not an epidemiologist, but the percentage of confirmed cases versus the test continues to go down and the number of hospitalizations continue to go down. I hate that term. It's not spiking. There are some hot spots. But the overall, it is not spiking. That just drives me nuts. I want to you know, scream out the window. Well, I would agree. My, I've had frustration on this of late that the headlines all talk about the raw numbers, and this is not what we do. But you do have to look at compared to tests. But, but some of it is, is going back in the wrong direction, and Texas is one of those states, and I think Florida may be. There are some hot spots. There is yeah. no question. Yeah, so that's the, that's the, the bigger question there. But, but other than that, it has been – it seems as this point, and we should know, I mean, we're middle of June now. If you think back a couple months ago related to the fall plans for the semester, President Thrasher indicated plus or minus July 1. Well, the university, FSU, has released its plan. They're meeting with the Board of Trustees Thursday, Board of Governors next week. And the drop-dead date for football has more or less been hinted it would be around July – for football starting on time, more or less be around July 15th. 
So we'll see. We're close. I mean, we should have something pretty definitive. Basically four weeks, you know, depending on how you count them. Right. But basically four weeks that you've got to get started. And again, I'm not a huge proponent of the six-week schedule that they seem to be adopting, but I can live with that. Uh, but you're right. We've got to get on with it if we're going to have anything starting remotely on time. We've got to get on with it in terms of wrapping up this show. So we'll do it again next week. Keith, I appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next always week. Always a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Front Row Knowles. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave them.